You know, I thought about preparing a bunch of information about how cops for years, not all cops, but way too many of them have gotten away literally with murder or with abuse of their authority, abuse of power, or have uh, um, perpetrated uh, segregationist and racist sentiments in our society. And... I mean, I've really been thinking about this a lot, of course, in light of what's been happening. And uh, it's uncomfortable for me to even say very much because, one, I'm white and therefore privileged. And I don't say that ironically. Uh, I come from very humble beginnings. We were certainly not wealthy, but I had one thing going for me, obviously, is that by being white, I have not, by and large, had to live with what black people, black men in particular, have to live with every day of their lives with that particular stressor and that particular societal box ticked against them, even though everybody mouths the words that, oh, no, there's no racism here. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to tell you a story about me, something that happened to me. That's all. And take it into context. And if it's beneficial, great. If it's helpful in understanding if you're on the fence about how these things go, although I don't know how you could be, um, maybe it'll help. For me, it's it's a bit of an unburdening. Um, I've told this story to others, but it's something that's really haunted me for years. So let's take you back to around 1995. It'd be pretty close to late summer, early fall. I don't have exact dates on me, and I could look it all up, but uh, long story short, I was... Um, candidate for state legislature announced. I was a, basically the Democratic nominee for state legislature in my little part of uh, Oklahoma. And I was young, but full of ideas. Um, but I, as usual, with my, a lot of things in my life, my timing wasn't so great. I was a Democrat and easily paintable as a liberal Democrat in what was very quickly becoming a very, we didn't even call it red state, blue state, but becoming a very red state at that time, uh, Oklahoma had for years had a, for decades had a, a Democratic Party majority, but it was a very conservative Democratic Party. And after Reagan and uh, forces of talk radio and a very, very dominant state newspaper that was very right wing, uh, things started going the other way. But I was running and uh, I uh, was. Verbal, and I'd made my my voice known. I'd always respected police, but I'd seen a disturbing trend in the city I lived in. It was a suburb of Oklahoma City, where the police were getting very militarized. They were wearing fatigues, black fatigues, um, not riot gear at at that point that I saw, but very much not Mayberry. You know, <laughs> they were definitely in military style gear and had military style equipment and that was uh, purportedly because there was a lot of gang activity there now that's not to say there wasn't gang activity but 
they the police department there just became pretty militarized pretty quickly. And I, I saw that as not a good thing because I, I view policing as not a military uh, effort. It's a it's a, a law and order effort. And even at that young age, in my late 20s when I was running, I, and I wasn't super critical. I just I had said, I think, on the record here and there that I found it disturbing and that I think the right... Uh, I thought the right direction to go was not necessarily in uh, an arms race with gangs or with crime, but uh, maybe more about community uh, understanding about what causes crime. That kind of squishy liberal stuff, right, that uh, was not real popular then. Well, the police union uh, came out for my opponent pretty quickly. In fact, uh, this is anecdotally somebody I trusted said... uh, that my opponent was uh, speaking at an event, and uh, a couple of police officers walked up to him and said, don't worry, we'll take care of that guy, we'll beat that guy. Uh, Ostensibly, I'm talking about me. And that was fine. Um, But I'd scared this incumbent a little bit. I had uh, not raised a ton of money, but I'd raised enough, and I was making my voice heard. But this guy I was running against was somewhat entrenched incumbent, and uh, he didn't like having an, um, an opponent. So... This district was, as I recall, about 35 or 40 percent minority. It had been redistricted and moved around a little bit and reshuffled from a previous office holder who's a Democrat who was a champion of minorities and uh, was a damn good representative. But uh, this new Republican who had won the seat, beneficiary at least of redistricting where it had been moved around to where there were enough precincts where uh, the, the minorities would be uh, a difference maker, but maybe not necessarily enough to, to put a candidate over the top without substantial majority uh, support. So I'm pretty good, or I was pretty good at tilting at windmills, and I, I put my name on the ballot, and I, I won the, the uh, nomination for the Democratic Party. And I had a... Uh, a burgundy pickup because I needed to haul signs around. You know, you put campaign signs in yards back then, especially. We didn't have the internet going on then. Uh, you had to knock on doors, make phone calls, send direct mail through the mail post office, put signs in yards. And so I needed stuff to a truck to cart things around. I had a big sticker on the back, you know, Greenwood State Representative. Anyway, I had uh, thought, I started noticing here and there that police officers would. Uh, around town, kind of get behind me and ride my bumper. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but they wouldn't, they would be right up on me as if they were uh, checking my license plate or something. And I, it's happened more than once. It happened several times. And I started realizing, oh, they're, they're screwing around. They're trying to intimidate me a little bit, I guess. You know, it's no problem. It wasn't every day, and it only happened a few times, but I let it go. Well, fast forward to one evening, I was... Uh, uh, had some friends in from out of the country, and uh, they were we were all gonna we'd all had dinner, and then we were all going to go back to uh, my place for the evening. They were in a different car, and so I was in a hurry to get to them. I was running a little late. They had already gone ahead of me, and I was speeding. No doubt about it, I was speeding, and I don't mean just a little. I was speeding probably twenty miles over the speed limit. Not cool, but I lived in kind of a semi rural area at that point there was hardly anybody on the road that's not an excuse to speed don't get me wrong but and I don't speed like that anymore I drive very much like an old man these days but I was in a hurry so I was going too fast and but there was nobody on the road it was not unusual that the only thing I'd see on the road was a a deer here and there so again it wasn't smart to be speeding well I uh, got 
probably halfway home, a very dark road, not a lot of street lights, not a lot, uh, not a lot of traffic, and uh, lights, blue and red lights behind me in the rear view, and I'm like, ah, crap. I pull over, roll down my window, hands on the steering wheel. I mean, even then I was very careful because I understood police had a tough job, and I wanted to make it very clear that I was just doing what I was supposed to do. Had my hands on the steering wheel. Guy walked up, uh, and he was out of breath. He was really upset or excited. And I was speeding, so he'd followed me a little bit, and I didn't notice him right right that second, so I didn't, like, just pull over. I didn't couldn't just turn on a dime going 70 miles an hour and stop. So I, he'd probably followed me for a quarter, less than a quarter mile before I pulled over. But he, he had his, his hand on his hip on his gun. I could see it in the rear view, and I was like, okay. He comes up, and I'd seen him before. I still remember him. He was kind of blondish. I think he had a mustache. He was older than me. Of course, I was in my mid to late 20s. He was probably in his mid, early to mid-30s. He shouted at me. He said, hands on the steering wheel. I said, my hands are on the steering wheel. And he says, he comes up to me and goes, you know why I pulled you over? I said, yes, officer, I was speeding. No doubt about it. So sorry about that. He said, uh-huh, who are you? And I told him, I said, well, I'm, he said, just give, give me your license. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you my license. So I have my wallet in my back pocket. I give him the license. And he goes, mm-hmm, all right. And he says, I need to see your insurance. I said, okay, it's in the glove box. I'm going to lean over and get it. And he goes, all right, do that. I no sooner leaned over six, seven inches, just reaching over across the bench seat of the truck towards the uh, glove box door. When he shouted at me, I mean full-blown, freeze, gun! And then I heard a rustling. I didn't know what it was. I turned back and I said, what? And there was a gun all right, and it was pointed right at my face. And I'm like, oh, okay. I just freeze. I'm like, well, what's going on? And he says, you have a gun in this vehicle. You have a gun in this vehicle. I said, no, sir, I don't even own a gun. I don't like guns. Why do I? I don't have a gun. You have a gun in there. Get out of the car. He swings the door open, grabs me, throws me out of the car against the uh, side of the uh, vehicle, the, like the bed of the truck on the side. And he does the whole thing you see on TV, kicks my feet apart, pats me down a little bit. I says, don't you move, don't you, blanking move. I said, I don't have a gun. I don't, I don't carry a gun. I don't own a gun. He says, don't you move. I'm like, okay. He looks around my car, or in the truck, and uh, on the floor, there was a flashlight. Um, a yellow plastic flashlight. He says, Oh, well, this looks like a gun to me. I said, it's a yellow flashlight. It looks like a gun to you? And he's like, you getting smart with me? That kind of talk. And I don't remember all the details there. It was a blur at that point. I just know that he had scared the crap out of me. And he'd put a gun to my head. He stepped back, and he stepped back a few feet. His gun was still out, but not pointed directly at me at this point. He says, get back in the vehicle, sir. Get back in the vehicle. Don't move. By this time, another car rolls up, lights on, and it's all like, okay. I get back in the car, put my hands on the steering wheel, and I'm shaking. I'm not going to lie to you. I am shaking. I'm breathing hard, and I don't know, like, what did I do? And the other cop gets out and kind of gets up and watches, and kind of gets over and kind of, not directly to me, but doesn't say anything, but he's got his hand on his gun butt, and he's kind of looking at me from about 10 feet away, you know, kind of off to the side of the road there. 
And meanwhile, a couple of cars pass by, you know, but nobody's, you know, just civilians driving by, as far as I can recall. And I'm just, I don't even know what's going on. Meanwhile, the, the initial cop, 10 minutes later, it seems like, comes back, and he writes me this ticket, and he hands me this ticket. He says, you're going way over. Uh, this is going to require you to be uh, to, to be in court, or you will get a bench warrant, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I was like, okay. I said, all right. And I just knew at that point I just needed to get away from this guy because they were both, the guy, the one cop in particular, was, was definitely hyped up on adrenaline somehow. And I, I'm trying to remember all the details here, but... Uh, this has been, you've got to understand, this has been over 25 years now. But I just remember uh, taking the ticket, and I know he made some remark about my bumper sticker. Like, if you want to be on the state legislature, maybe you need to learn how to drive properly or something like that. I don't remember. I'm sorry, I don't remember. It was all, at this point, really. So uh, I said, am I free to go? He said, yeah, and you just watch yourself, something like that. Put my seatbelt on very carefully drive home, get back to my friends. They're already waiting for me, and I just told them, and I, they couldn't believe it, but they were from England. They are like, what? Cop? Gun? What? I talked to some people the next day who were wiser and older than me, and I just told what happened. And then I said, you know, I'm starting to put this together. I'm wondering if this is not, that I'm not targeted a little bit for some kind of harassment. And the political advisor said, oh, I have no doubt. And he said, you didn't help matters by speeding. I said, I know. And uh, he said, but, uh, yeah. He said, uh, now you kind of know what it's like to have a target painted on you, don't you? And I was like, yeah, and it sucks. Well, I went ahead and said, well, I'm not putting up with this. So I went and filed a report with the uh, city attorney and made a complaint to the police department. And I'll spare you all the details. Uh other than to say that uh, it came back with, do you have any witnesses? I said, you have your officer. And he says, well, it's your word against his. You lose, basically. So that was the end of that. And then I had to go complete driver's education training to get the points off my record um, and pay a hefty fine for speeding. Hey, I have no problem taking the classes and paying the fine. What I had a problem with was that I was on a lonely road. Maybe I wasn't targeted directly that night. But as soon as he realized who I was, he made sure that I was not only getting a speeding ticket, but I was also going to get a lesson in what, it, what happens, perhaps, when you uh, oppose the police. Now, you, you could listen to this and say, oh, you're making more of it than it was. Although, I'll tell you, anytime anybody puts a gun on your face, you're not making too much out of it. But uh, can I prove they targeted me? No. Was there a pattern of behavior that indicated and were there anecdotal evidence that police officers had said that they were going to defeat me one way or another, I guess? Uh, yeah. And I was white, and I was a Democratic nominee for a state legislature post. Fairly high profile in that little part of town. So I guess what I'm trying to tell you is this. Way back in around 1995, that could have happened to me. Pre-cell phone era, of course. Dark, lonely road, white guy, with cops who are predisposed not to like me. Had a gun in my face, and I felt like my life was in danger. I'm not going to kid you. I felt like he could have killed me, and that would have been the end of it. I mean, what's to have stopped him if he really, really had a problem with me from killing me and then planting a gun? 
instead of seeing a yellow flashlight. It was one of those goofy flashlights that has a radio built in, and it's like yellow. No way in hell it was a gun. No way in hell it looked like a gun. If that could have happened to me, and that did happen to me, imagine, imagine if you were black. I lost that election. I lost another one subsequently a few years later. But what I gained from that experience running for office and uh, from that experience on that dark country road and from my experience as a, as a journalist, what I learned from it, what I gained from it was the insight that we all have a gun to our head in this country. And if you're black, it's the obvious racist gun. If you're white or you're part of the privileged class, the gun to your head is pretty simple too. It's, it's loaded just as much as the one up against our black brothers and sisters. Racism is a weapon that is a self-inflicted wound of a society. If we as Americans are to move forward, if we are to truly be that shining city on the hill, or if we truly are to seek that newer, wonderful, braver world that we all aspire to, or at least that our rhetoric aspires to, we got to pull this gun away from our heads, folks. we got to remember that we are only as strong as the weakest among us. We are only as successful as the least successful among us. We have to pull together as a society. And I'm not here to preach to black folks. I have no standing to do so. But what I say to you, if you're not a black person, I hope what I told you today will help you think about this a little bit because it changed my perspective radically. I can't pretend to understand what it's like to live a racist nightmare day in, day out, but I can tell you what those few minutes on that dark country road did to me. And how I'll never forget that gun, and I'll never forget knowing that that guy holding that gun on me could take away who I was and take away who I would ever, ever be. He could have pulled that trigger... I never would have had children. I never would have written books. I never would have done so many things. And it could have been terribly easy in retrospect for him to do that. That, my friends, was what we're up against. What's up? It's Kevin Hart. And with new rewards from Chase Freedom Unlimited, I now earn even more cash back, even on a beach getaway. I earn 3% of drugstores on beach snacks. Hmm, these chips have some saying on them. I earn 3% on dining, including takeout, after Seagull eats all my chips. And I earn 5% on travel purchased through Chase, like a hotel room to hide from that Seagull. Learn more at ChaseFreedom.com. Chase, make more of what's yours. Account subject to credit approval. Restrictions, limitations apply. Offer subject to change. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. 
Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. 